trying. Keep trying and try some more. And always try to figure out a way to be better and to do better, better. Too many people kind of stop, hesitate. Um, you got to go with your gut. And the biggest thing that I see is you got to be willing to fail. Hello, and welcome to the Elevator Careers podcast, sponsored by the Allred Group. I am your host, Matt Allred. In this podcast, we talk to the people whose lives and careers are dedicated to the vertical transportation industry to inform and share lessons learned, building upon the foundation of those who have gone before to inspire the next generation of elevator careers. Today, our guest is Nick Gretzik, Executive Vice President of CEC Elevator Cab Corp and Stairlift. Nick joined the elevator industry almost 30 years ago and has worked in a variety of roles, both in the field and manufacturing cabs. In 2020, Nick invented Sterilift to clean the indoor air of elevators and to help make the world a cleaner, safer, healthier place. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matthew. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I'm glad to, glad to have you. And uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by your contributions to the elevator industry and, and just kind of want to kick it off by saying, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about ventilation and air and in an elevator shaft and in the car and, and, um, What's kind of the the issue I hear about indoor air quality, but but that it's different in a in the shaft or in the elevator car, I guess, than than in the office. Yeah, um, it definitely is. Um, the biggest problem that we have inside an elevator is that a lot of people don't realize you're kind of inside a trap box. Um, you do have very strong currents that people hear them like uh, dead of winter on cold days. You'll hear that loud screaming noise under the shaft way doors open. You feel a big breeze. That really doesn't come from the elevator cab itself. It usually comes from the shaft itself. So what's inside an elevator, we kind of start telling people, unfortunately, stays inside an elevator. Um, and throughout some testing throughout the years, uh, a couple of years we've been working on this, uh, UL tests and just some in-house tests, we've kind of found that, that contrary to the belief of most people and even to some studies that have been taken, um, inside an elevator, really nothing that's really going in there is actually coming out of it. Uh, in fact, even with a regular fan, like most people hear a fan, only about 30% of what's inside the car that we would be worried about, let's say with COVID or infection, is actually being taken out of the elevator. And it poses a lot of problems getting it out, but we've kind of put a lot of thought into that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, how does, uh, you know, you invented the, the Sterileft product. How does that address ventilation in a cab? Well, it does a couple of things. Um kind of looking at the HVAC technology of it, where originally I tried to figure out how do we ventilate rooms and things like that and seeing the techniques that they do. One of the things you hear about a lot from uh, uh, HVAC industry, uh, from like ASHRAE or even from CDC, they talk about natural ventilation, which means that you're getting an influx of fresh air into, into an area, space, a room, a classroom. Elevators are very unique because you cannot do that. It's physically impossible. You're surrounded by an elevator shaft where there's very, very little fresh air in there. So you really don't have the ability to push in natural air. What I did was when I invented Sterilift, I kind of addressed not only removing what's inside the elevator, be it the air and also the particles in the air, but through a series of uh, uh, filtering and UVC treatment, using that air that's taken out to be cleaned and reconditioned and put into the elevator as your natural and clean air source. So it's literally creating a, a clean source of air to be put back into the elevator like no one else can do. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I'm curious, when did you start thinking about indoor air quality of elevator cabs? I actually, I mean, pretty much my entire career, I've always heard from people about how the elevator is so hot and they can't breathe inside. So I kind of always knew about it. 
But in all honesty, dreaming up Sterlip and trying to think about making some kind of a difference in doing something, it's back around October or November of 2019. That's the time where everybody started hearing about coronavirus and started seeing it spread through China. I kind of knew at that point right then that this was going to be a problem that was going to be worldwide just by how fast it was spreading. So at that point, I kind of decided, what can I do and how can I do that specific to what I'm familiar with, which would be elevators. So you kind of saw from from a distance, because you're right, right, the news media started buzzing about it in China. Um, and, and from that distance, you were like, okay, I know it's going to be here. I know it's going to you know, start affecting the way that, you know air and, and illness and, and all that stuff in the elevator. So uh, you had a little bit of warning to kind of start creating, I guess. Correct. And and looking at knowing that it was airborne, I just had a feeling inside and I'm glad they finally admitted it. But uh, knowing that and seeing the spread and seeing how that it can only be airborne, that's how it was so efficient at spreading. I kind of thought to myself, seeing like cities like Wuhan and larger cities in, in uh, China where it was spreading more uh, uh, faster than any place else, I kind of started focusing on, okay, well, when this comes into the big cities of the United States, what's that one focal point that everybody's going to be in that nobody can avoid that's going to hold these airborne viruses and things for people to come in and breathe? And it is office buildings and it is elevators. Sure. So uh, I'm just curious when when you start hearing and thinking about that, then um, how long before you were actually able to, to launch a product? Was it um, I started dreaming up uh, ideas in, like I said, October, November, did a little bit of research and started putting pen to paper. I mean, not by education, but by trade. I am an engineer. I do a lot of my own engineering here with the elevator company. And um, I started putting pen to paper and kind of using about a decade of elevator experience and about two decades of cab experience to formulate something and put it together on paper. From that, I actually built the first prototype in my garage. Uh, had a little bit of downtime in between. So uh, I would say um, probably a few months and we officially launched it in June of that year. Wow. Wow. And then that's pretty, pretty early in. I mean, I, as I recall, things started shutting down in March. And so to right. to exactly. get something out by June is uh, yep. pretty quick in that curve. So, um, and you you mentioned a couple of times your your career and kind of your progression. Tell me how you got started and and where you've spent the majority of your time in the elevator industry. Well, it's actually funny. Um, um, I started in elevators basically to pay my way through college. Um, and college was actually criminal justice. So really one didn't have to do with the other. But um, starting in the industry, it kind of grabbed hold of me and kept me here because I have a very good technical ability. I can sell, I can speak. And, you know, I kind of tried to walk away from the industry once and they yanked me back in kind of like, uh, you know, Godfather. Uh, but uh uh, it's a great industry. And um, uh, throughout the years, I've, I've spent the first uh, 10, 12 years in elevator cabs, manufacturing elevator cabs, doors like I am now. Then I actually went to an elevator company where I was doing, was running modernization teams and scheduling projects, doing controller swaps, machines, motors, engineering on that side, and ultimately finally coming back to the cab industry to manufacturing. So I wound up getting a very broad, full spectrum type of knowledge of the elevators themselves on not only how to make them look nice, but how to make them run well. That is interesting. So, so from cabs back, kind of, kind of out in the field, and then back to cabs. Right. Um, well, and you said, you know, getting getting drawn in. What was it that clicked for you and said, "Hey, I I love this industry. It's where I want to be." Um, it was after probably a couple of years in the industry. You know, I was uh, a couple of years into college. I decided to switch from criminal justice to a business. 
and really started focusing more on here because it wound up being a lot of fun. And I kind of saw the camaraderie of the industry. This is more like a family than it is an industry. Sure. It's kind of hard to explain, but when it comes to elevators, I always tell people it's the biggest, it's the smallest big industry. Um, <laughs> it's a lot bigger of an industry than people know. Sure. Um, in fact, we'll, we can get down that down later, you know, a little bit later, but in terms of transportation, uh, if you consider the elevator industry as a transportation industry, which it is, we actually move more people per day than all other industries combined. That could be trains, planes, cars, everything combined. We move more people. It's about 8 billion trips per year. Wow. So it's a very vital, very big industry, but a handful of companies and a handful of people. True. I remember my, my first boss told me it's so small that if I sneeze right now, by this time tomorrow, everybody in the industry said to bless you. <laughs> Maybe not even that long, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Might be in the afternoon. Um, yeah. So tell me about some of your mentors. Who who were some of the people that inspired you to, uh, you know, take it I've further? Had, I've had the pleasure of working with, for, above, beside, and and, and below some of the best people in this industry. Uh, 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 Peter Bellis, Erwin Grossman, Howard Friedman, John Farella, Carlos Vanga. Uh, Richard Lesperance, Gus Catanzaro, I mean, a lot of many, many people that I've worked for and with that, to tell you the guys on the truth, I really couldn't put it as, you know, in terms of mentors, this entire industry is a mentor. It's kind of a mentor upon itself to where sure. we all pay attention to each other. We all support each other. Uh, we're all very good to each other. And we're all very honest with each other. If you are, you'll spend your life in this industry. Uh, it'll never let you go. And uh, uh, mentors to me is from the people that I worked for that I respected, you know, with the utmost respect and wanted to learn what they learned all the way down to people that just start working for me. And I watched them learning and applying their own abilities to something that we're doing. Um, my point in life always when I wake up in the morning is I want to learn something new every single day. Sure. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter what industry it is, whether it's elevators or air, or it doesn't really make a difference. But I look to always learn something new every day. And that's really working with people that you do uh, kind of look up to as a mentor to where they're going to teach you something different, whether they're above you or below you makes a difference. Very cool. Yeah. Thanks. So, so, I mean, it sounds like you're still, you're still doing elevator caps and you've kind of attached the Stairlift product and effort on top of that. And I know in one of our first conversations, you said that that's, you know, getting clean air in elevator caps is kind of one of the things you're most passionate, passionate about right now. I'm curious what what are some of the obstacles you've you've kind of run into as you go to insert what seems to me like a a new a new product a new innovation, and I don't know of any direct competitors to what you're doing. What are what have you bumped into? We we actually do have some direct competitors. Um, um, there's a couple of uh, major elevated companies that came out and started pushing products that other people made. You know, no one that really made anything like we did. They just they kind of buy it off the shelf or from another company. Okay incorporated into something with their name on it. The problem with that is that, and also going down to the biggest problem that I have is the biggest problem I have for cleaning air, specifically in elevators or anywhere inside a building is there's a severe lack of knowledge. Um, I could bring it back to the days of Jonathan Snow. You can look up his name. He, they call him the father of epidemiology, but he's also the father of a modern sewer system. Wow. And back when there was cholera outbreaks in Chicago and, and high-rise buildings where he started putting it together, it took his kind of like looking at how a virus spread or how something spread or how bacteria spread to finally be the one person to turn around. And everybody thought he was crazy where he said, maybe we shouldn't have the supply water next to the wastewater. Yeah. So we kind of said, let's pipe it far, far away. 
that allowed for a sanitational like uh, a revolution sure. to where we found a way to not only make bigger buildings and put more concentrated people in a certain area, but also to get rid of that one particular problem. What we need now is a new revolution, which is the air we breathe. And we hear about it, you know, going green, cleaning the air and ozone layer and carbon emissions are all part of that, but they're very minute when it comes to what we're breathing close by. Um, I kind of saw something disgusting the other day on, on LinkedIn, which I, I look at a lot. And this ugly guy standing there coughing, whatever, and said, just imagine without good indoor air quality, you're breathing this man's breath. Sure. And I kind of get into conversations with people sometimes where I say, we've taken the initiative to get rid of human waste when it comes to solid and liquid. That we did, it's no brainer. We know that that's not good. Anything your body expels is human waste. So even as I speak right now, or if I cough or I sneeze, that's something my body doesn't want. The current systems that we have in place right now for air conditioning, heating, ventilation, and so forth, has some filters to take out allergens, dust, things like that, but not things like pathogens, viruses, and stuff like that, and VOCs even. So literally, whatever's coming out of people's breath, basically, that human waste, we're living our lives in. And sure. we don't have to. So we need to, we need to get to the next revolution, which basically is you know, governmental regulation and actually getting the word out there. And at the same time, also kind of not to put my competitors on the bus, but to also understand that there are systems out there that, A, do not work. The class action lawsuits that are going out there do show that. And also, if you really look into it, they're actually dangerous. Um, certain things like ions that go out there. If an ion's in the air and it's going to kill a virus, it'll do the same thing to the cells in your body. And, and you can wind up going into a, 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 a point of oxidative stress if you're in it too long. Putting something like that sure. inside something that's concentrated as an elevator in the office, you would have a risk of that. So, again, education. So I'm, I'm trying to pose that as we speak with, with a couple of different. Uh, so how, how open to revolution have you found other industry players or, or regular regulators to be? The elevator industry as a whole is behind me 100%, which is great. And it's because I'm one of theirs. So anything that can help uh, coming from women, she's great. And again, going back to our industry, we're an industry built on safety and serving the public sure. and making sure people uh, are, are safe and healthy. And, and again, eight, 8 billion trips, but we have the least amount of accidents by far. We are about safety and health. So right. obviously, this industry is behind it. I've also found a good following from the HVAC industry. Cool. Uh, certain people that are involved with ASHRAE, which is you know kind of like the code for HVAC, and kind of going after trying to get either EPA or OSHA or even CDC or somebody to step in and start commenting. But when it comes to governmental regulation and their comments, it's very difficult to get. It's a lot of red tape. You know, they they uh, I think it took about two decades for them to actually get behind cleaning water, even though uh, <laughs> we, we knew it was a big deal, but it took like almost two decades for the government to actually step in and start putting in clean water acts and mm. things like that. So when it comes to air, unfortunately, it's up to all of us. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, what kind of, uh, I guess, demand are you seeing in the marketplace? And I'm, I'm, I can only imagine that that with COVID and the hype and the scare, you know, just a lot of a lot of energy behind that. You know, I imagine you saw quite a bit. Are you still seeing that kind of demand? Yeah, uh, I mean, we're, we're basically right now in, I believe, 36 different states and three different countries. Um, wow. So we are getting a good demand for the product. I'm seeing a lot. It's basically coming from a lot of the major cities. Obviously, they're trying to get people back. Um, New York City, you know, kind of was a slow go. They're a little bit stubborn. You know, they want to 
see how things go. But um, a couple of years ago, I, I submitted Starlift to um, a contest for New York City Department of Buildings called Hack the Code. Um, I won that about a year ago and two years ago, actually. And it took about a year going back and forth with their code architect. But we did actually want to get a technical bulletin to where New York City's Department of Buildings actually said that if you do want to clean air, you have to use something like Sterilift, and we went over verbatim every single thing. So we are seeing that coming up more as, as, a, as a demand to where they're kind of getting that in. And now we're seeing most specifications that are coming out from uh, most of your consultants that are specifying materials and so forth. They'll put in something for air cleaning in an elevator, and it has to be Sterilift in New York City. So um, that is definitely helping to spawn the demand. But again, it's coming down to when they want to pay to you know, kind of put that in and uh, some building owners are looking for different perspectives on, on how to put it in. And, you know, I understand that the buildings might be a little bit uh, unoccupied, but to get people back into air quality is pretty much on the tip of most people's tongue. So it's something that has to be done. Interesting. Yeah. And, and it sounds like, I mean, it seems like now, now is kind of the, uh, time. and it, I, I know it's hap- been happening before now, but as far as getting people back in biz- uh, buildings and, you know, it's a, it's been a long process and i'm just curious how far into that process do you feel like business it is you know as far as a curve of actually getting the buildings occupied believe it or not i would say just a it's a snail's pace uh coming back to work there's a from home they do want to try to do hybrid things like that so there's a very there's a there's a very large pause on big investments in trying to get people back into work but unfortunately i try to explain to people that there's like this, like there's a circle of life. There's also a circle of business to where that one company not going to work, not fully occupying an office. If you look at the chain effect of other industries that are that are affected by that, it, it, it's going to wind up ruining that 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 circle. And everybody will suffer for you know a couple of people staying home. So we're going to have to wind up getting back to work. Otherwise, you're going to start seeing entire industries uh, failing. You know, restaurant industries, things like that. You're seeing restaurants close all over the place. We really got to be pay attention to that because we might not know the person that owns the restaurant, but down the line, I'm sure we know someone that delivers things to that restaurant, works for the restaurant, or drives people to the restaurant, or supplies food products, utensils, whatever the case may be. Or even they might work from a banking industry, might give that restaurant loans to do certain things. Sure. So we're all connected. So we're going to have to get back to what we're going to call normal. The question is, what's that normal going to be? We need a new normal. That new normal is being healthier, being cleaner. Uh, cleaning the air around us, putting in provisions that when people come back, you know, COVID's one thing, it's going to be around forever, unfortunately. Every time we think it's gone, a new variant comes out. Sure. That's, that's that's unfortunately probably going to stick around for a long, long time, if not forever. But I always told people too, they said, you know, you invented this product, you started this company, what happens when COVID's gone? And I always tell people, well, number one, it won't be gone. But number two, wouldn't it be nice if you don't get the flu? Yeah. If you don't exactly. get the common cold, if you don't get a sinus infection, if chicken pox goes away in schools, I mean, all these things are airborne. So if we can take that out of the air before we get infected by it, obviously it's going to make the world a better place. Sure. Sure. A lot, lot more uptime, I guess, if, if people don't get as, as sick. Yeah, exactly. It, it exactly. would seem. Activities up, people are at work, people are happy. You know, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very good. I, I know elevators are your business, but do you anticipate taking this into other industries or, or are there um, any efforts in that regard? We actually already have. Um, I've already made another product called Sterile Room, which um, Sterile Lift runs at about 710 cubic feet per minute. It's made to like really drastically change the air, actually two times per minute inside a typical elevator. Um, 
CDC and ASHRAE suggest six air changes per hour for rooms because they have natural ventilation. They're a little bit bigger, a little more diluted. Um, I've invented a system that can do a 10,000 cubic foot room. So we are starting to put stuff together to aim at classrooms, uh, sure. to aim at offices, to aim at uh, uh, restaurants to where, depending upon the size, you put a couple of systems in. And the same process we do in an elevator, we're looking to do inside other areas as well. Interesting. Uh, obviously, you were, you were talking about more, you know, commercial and industrial. Um, curious if that would ever go residential. I, I hear about residential indoor air. It could. Um, uh, definitely, I would say on the on the higher end side, that might be more of a push to, to get that right away. On the lower end side, to where people are looking to you know kind of keep costs down, things like that. If regulation steps in, then obviously, yes, it's it, it, people if regulation steps in finally and says we need to clean air, it needs to be healthy, then something like my product or any other product would, would be something that would want stepping in. But I can see that coming in down the road. For right now, I think it's going to be more of a kind of a demand-based type of thing where people will be looking for it and trying to get it as a specialty. Very cool. Very cool. So, you know, we're, we're kind of getting towards the, the end of our time. I do have a couple more questions for you. And um, one of the questions is just, what would you say? I mean, obviously you've, you've been in different, uh, areas of the, of the business and um, curious what, what you feel like is kind of your contribution to making the world a better place than you found it? Well, I mean, definitely. I mean, when it comes to making elevators look pretty and run better, uh, I've done that. I'm proud of that, actually. Some jobs that I've uh, worked on and, and done design work and things like that myself, it's, it's, it's wonderful to walk by. Uh, one of the things I know a lot of people in my industry love is they're driving with their kids in the car and go, you see that building? Those are my elevators. I love it. <laughs> Um, but the, that makes my city a better place, uh, certain buildings a better place. Obviously, to make a world a better place, it would be Starworth. Um, not being a police officer, not going to law enforcement, the only thing that I regretted from that was I couldn't make a difference. I wanted to make a difference to my community, to the world, to my city. Um, this is kind of like became what I consider my ability to actually enact that and, and to do something that's for the better of the people that are, that are on this earth with me. That's very cool. So you, your chance to kind of give back. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's awesome. So last question I want to ask is what is one lesson you've learned throughout your career that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, maybe just pass on some wisdom. So many, but the one thing I tell people, try, keep trying and try some more and always try to figure out a way to be better and to do better, better. Um, too many people kind of stop, hesitate. Um, you got to go with your gut. And the biggest thing that I see is you got to be willing to fail. Um, a lot of times you're going to get an idea in your head. You're going to get something you want to try. And you're going to go out there and you're going to try, try to talk people. And whenever there's change, whenever there's something new, there's always going to be the people that are going to say, you're crazy. It's not going to work. It's a waste of your time. Don't ever listen to those people. Those are the people that want to stay in a certain spot. If you want to change, if you want to make a difference, you need to literally fail your way up to success because I, I, I've seen roads to, to, to success. They're always paved with failure. No one just goes right to the top. You have to kind of trial and error and get your way. And I mean, if you really want to make a difference, if you want to push, um, you have to understand that you, you're going to make those mistakes. Don't be afraid of them. You're not making a mistake, actually, because the only time you make a mistake is when you don't learn from what you sure. do. And really, the only thing that you need is hard work, a great idea. Be willing to take the risk. Believe in yourself. You need to not listen to people that say it can't be done because things aren't done until they're done. And you got to stick to your convictions, kind of get your resiliency. And that plus time 
you will succeed. You will succeed. That's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I tell my kids all the time, you know, that you learn more by getting your butt kicked in soccer. It happens to be that what they do. I'm like, you, you learn so much more by losing than you do by winning. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Winning is easy. Losing is hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you for that, uh, that insight. And Nick, thank you for being here on the show thank today. You. I've enjoyed talking with you. Wish you the very best. Enjoy it as well, Matthew. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Elevator Careers podcast, sponsored by the Allred Group a leader in elevator industry recruiting. You can check us out online at elevatorcareers.net. Please subscribe and until next time, stay safe.